The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. This is Make It Pain. Make It Pain. M.I.P. With Massimella Matsumo. Mark Thompson. Make It Pain. Get woke. Ladies and gentlemen, as we round out our coverage of Black History Month, focusing on HBCUs, how could we talk about HBCUs and not talk about our Divine Nine? But particularly, uh, we want to talk about our historic sororities because we have an historic sorority member now occupying the White House, something that has not happened before. Um, and so we are honored today to have with us the national president and CEO of one of these great sororities, one uh, in which my own grandmother uh, was a member. That would be Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. We have the National President and CEO with us, Beverly Evans Smith. Sister Smith, God bless you, President Smith. So good to see you. Thank you for joining us on Make It Plain. And thank you, Reverend Mark, for having me today. I appreciate it. It is an honor. How how are things going? In Delta, in, in the world, and you know, that's all about the same. I think we're all in a pandemic state, but um, I, I think even through the pandemic, just like black folks always do, we survive, and sometimes in the midst of crisis, we thrive. And I think that's kind of where we are right now. How has Delta been coping with the pandemic in terms of gathering and being active and, and helping the community? You know, none of that has stopped us. And I, I think, uh, as I mentioned, and we'll talk about, we have a history of not being stopped. We've had to transition to virtual, but we have found ways around the issues that we have. You know, in terms of our own meetings, we had regional conferences last summer, and we had 23,000 at seven regional conferences all on Zoom. We're about Zoomed out, but we were able to take care of our business. We had our, our National Founders Day virtually. We had, we honored our Sora Andrew Day with her new movie that's coming out, United States versus Billie Holiday, with a uh, conversation with her virtually just this past weekend. In regard to community service, uh, we, we cannot afford, none of us can afford to let community service or social action stop by. During this, uh, we may have had to have drive-through protests. We may have had to deliver food in a drive-through manner, but we did it all. We did not let that get in the way. Our fundraising and the amounts of money that we've been able to donate uh, to the communities, because a lot of it has had to be, had to be done that way, has actually increased significantly. Uh, I'm incredibly pleased that 
uh, our SORAs have stepped up to the plate. We have had meetings and have talked about the fact that we need to make sure that we are still reaching out. Uh, our programs, even the programs we have for our youth, we've tried to do virtually. Uh, you know, a great concern we've got for what's happening with the Internet and the fact that we don't have in many of our communities the kind of support we had, need to have with bandwidth has really forced us to the cars and to the streets to try and find other ways to do that while still managing in the COVID environment. I'm very proud of the fact that we have not skipped a beat when it comes to those things that are critical. Social action, as you know, right now is is extremely critical. And we, needless to say, uh, together with all the Divine Nine coming together, made sure that our voices were heard loud and clear, not only in terms of media, but also at the polls. Indeed. And I know you're in Atlanta. I mean, for, I think finally people are realizing the, the sheer power of black women when it comes to, you know, electoral matters. I mean, it's been right. spoken about openly. You all really have made the difference, made a difference in November, but also in the runoff in Georgia, right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, as soon as we realized the situation, well, actually, before we realized the situation we were in, having a feeling that it may come out that way, uh, we pulled everybody together. Uh, the Divine Nine totally came together. We came together. Uh, our own congresswoman and, and my own sorority sister and neighbor, Lucy McBath, we wanted to make sure that uh, she had the support that she needed. We, you know, we have to do it in a, in a nonpartisan way, uh, but that doesn't mean we can't find ways to be effective in terms of what we did. The, the work that has been done to pull it together, I honestly do believe that black women were a force behind the force in this election. I have no question about that <laughs> myself. There are these organizations like Emily's List and whatnot that yeah. recruit women to run for office. Right. But, but what better place to recruit women to run for office than one of our sororities uh, like Delta Sigma Theta? That's absolutely right. We actually started a new organization in Delta, Delta uh, for Women in Action. That's a 501c3. Delta, as, as most people know, stories fraternities are 501c7s, and so we, we can't promote uh, organizations. But we did, through our board in July this past summer, form a new organization that actually was one that's committed to uh, social action that actually can speak out and get people to run. Uh, in that new organization that we have, we created something called the Chisholm Jordan Institute, which is intended specifically to train black women to run for office. Uh, we were doing it before, but we decided to formalize that uh, and to form an organization that could do that, that could speak out uh, for and against candidates, uh, that could speak out for and against issues. Um, we were the first Greek letter organization to start a C3. We're very proud of that, but it really... Um, fits the legacy that we have, and we have actively been able to endorse candidates and push candidates through that vehicle. Amen. Have you all been vocal in terms of both uh, COVID relief for communities as well as COVID vaccines? Is still, as, as Dr. Hildreth says at Meharry, there's, there's still a rational apprehension when it comes to a lot of people, a lot, a lot of our people getting the vaccine. How have you all addressed those issues? That's a good way to put it, a rational uh, apprehension. We actually have a COVID education program going. We did a webinar. We had Sora uh, Alexis Herman, who has Secretary of Labor on it. We had my two social action chairs, myself. We had Marsha Fudge, who's in Congress. We did a COVID series in the fall. I had my second shot last week without any reservations. But we're trying to do as much as we can to provide an education 
on what it's about and then trying to, by example, let people know that it's okay. If I can try, let me see if I can't get you to try it as well. Yeah, no, this is a good point. And, and I'm sure too, you all have, you mentioned some of the legislation, any specific legislation you're adv advocating, I'm sure the Deltas know the importance of what it would mean for our families and communities to get COVID relief money yeah. in some of our businesses. I mean, that's a part of this too. It absolutely is. The economic impact of COVID it hits us uh, severely. The legislation that's out there and our con congressional people's keep us people keep us surprised on that. The current bill that's out there, obviously, we're we're pushing and supporting that. You know, when you talk trillions of dollars of need, I wish you could say it was just totally related to the pandemic, but we're we're trying to resolve issues that have now that more people know about, that there's greater awareness of that were there before the pandemic, but obviously what's happening now has brought it to light. Uh, the kind of support that's needed for equity in our communities has been there all along. You hate to think that a pandemic had to bring it uh, to fruition so people are looking at it and that there's some guilt out there that's trying to help, but I'll take any kind of help I can get uh, in terms of where we're going. So we are pushing in support of that, try to keep up with our congressional leaders on that. One of the things we're also focused on working with Sherilyn Eiffel, who's another Delta, is making sure that the judges, the people that we are looking at locally uh, in communities and those that are running for appointed to positions of authority in the judicial system are the right people. We don't necessarily educate ourselves well enough to know, you know, you see it and you look at, you know, okay, this one's this one, this one, I'll vote for this. You need to understand what they stand for. So we're really working on education campaign because that will make a difference too in making sure some of these laws and changes hold up. I would hope that what was done in Georgia, because people never voted in special elections like that before. And you're right. We got to get out of this mentality of thinking the only office to vote for is the presidency. Yes. You know, and it's, 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 there's so many yes. ways. And, and when you talk about even recruiting candidates, you know, I hear from people, I'm going to run for Senate. I said, well, hold on. You haven't done anything else yet. Right? There's other offices, you know, you can run right. for eight rep, you know, everybody's ready to go to the top, but no, these right. other positions, as you well know, are sometimes equally important because they provide direct service to local communities and okay. to the extent we can get more black women in those positions, that's critical too. Absolutely. I tell you, I just looked at, we're, we're doing, one of our members is doing witness, witness statement right now. I approved this morning. We have a, a method of making sure our witness statements are clear in terms of what we're addressing. Uh, Georgia right now is trying to put some new absentee ballot laws in place that are absolutely, I just can't imagine right after we finish this and all the things that went haywire, you'd have legislation to try and change absentee ballot and say, well, maybe we shouldn't do it or we need to delay to shorten the time. I am just going, really? So we are in the midst of within a month of trying to fight and show how wrong that is, having to fight it all over again. And that's local. So we can't afford to take our eye off that prize and to make sure those things happen. Yeah, no, I, I agree. You're absolutely right. Uh, that, that fight is still ongoing. What, what, tell us about you. Where did you go to school and, and, and when did you become a Delta? 
Well, I, I I did not go to an HBCU. You know, you have to hang your head. But my children and my husband all went to HBCUs. But you know what? I, I think I learned more about uh, civil rights and social action when I was at my university. I went to Bowling Green State University in Ohio. Okay. There were out of um, you know ten or so thousand students. I think there was like 193 of us. Uh, that did not stop me from becoming the vice president of the student government and doing uh, several other things at the university, even though I met a, a decent amount of opposition to that back in the day. But I've been always one to speak up. My dad was a civil rights advocate. We integrated our church, our neighborhood, the school, swimming pools. I swore I can't swim today because I went so many times with the Urban League places where he said, okay, there's nobody black been here before. All I need you to do, that's all the way my dad would always start, is just stick your foot in the pool. <laughs> just pretending you're swimming, that'll be all right. So, you know. That's what you that, did. <laughs> yeah. So that voice is something that you need to have. But I've been a Delta for 53 years. So. Wow. Yeah, wow. 54 years uh, for me. And, you know, I, I joined Delta back on my campus. And we, and I will give Bowling Green credit for this. We had a sorority house. Uh, just like everybody else did, all the white sororities that were there, we were the only black sorority there. But the university felt if everybody else has a house, then we need to provide one for the members of Delta Sigma Theta. So we did have one. We were um, very active on campus in terms of what we did. Uh, but Delta really was, and I realized then, focused on social action. Um, that was, for me, the first time I'd ever gone to school with anybody black that looked like me. There was one other girl in my school out of the private girl school I went to, which my dad insisted we needed to continue to make sure it stayed integrated, uh, as he would do. But it was the first time I had black women my age that I had a chance to associate with. But growing up, obviously, I became very comfortable with who I am and being in awkward situations, which no longer were awkward to me. The awkward situation was being with that many black women at one time. But the chance to do that, and to understand more from a different perspective who I was and what we stood for was phenomenal. I have to credit Delta Sigma Theta with giving me that opportunity. I never intended to be president of Delta Sigma Theta. Don't know how that ever got into my head to continue to move that far. Uh, I have always been a tad outspoken, you might be able to tell that, and that might have been what did it. But the experience I had at Bowling Green back in the 60s uh, during the time of uh, the Kent State suiting and the other things that happened uh, really sparked with and continues to make sure that that's the focus in life I have. Um, our children went to HBCUs intentionally. Uh, they went to, in the Georgia area, in Atlanta, the school that probably wasn't, wouldn't have been their choice, uh, just like most places. Uh, we wanted them to go someplace to get their best education, which unfortunately didn't mean a lot of us were there. But we also wanted them to be very grounded in who they were, and they always were from little children. Uh, and my husband went to Central State. They went to FAMU. So we are definitely an HBCU family. I would have not changed that opportunity for them and what they got out of that experience for the world. I'm sure you wouldn't. So, but you, you alluded to your father and the, the integration right. of fight you in. So what city was that? Where did you grow up? Maslin, Ohio. Is that uh, right? Wow. And I have to tell you when, and I still have the original deed, the deed to my, to our property says on there that you, uh, that you cannot be purchased by a Negro. Uh, he could not get a loan in the state of Ohio to buy that land. He could not get a builder in the city of Maslin to build it. He had to get a contractor from another city 
who was finally willing to build the house, who had death threats the entire time he was working on that home. I remember the first night we moved in, I was in the third grade. My sisters are five and nine years younger, so they were babies. My sister, one sister was just born. My dad stood in front of that house all night, the first night we were there, holding a Winchester rifle, which I still have, while people rode up and down that street, the Hood family, I'll never forget their name, calling us names, calling him names. We could hear them outside, threatening him. He stood with that gun all night to make sure we survived that night in that new home that we had. Uh, and, you know, for for someone in the third grade who was getting ready to um, walk into a school that really had no one who looked like myself, it was, um, you know, that's where the strength comes from. Your strength comes from, your strength or your fear comes from your experiences. I think we all have to focus on whatever strength we have from whatever bad experience we're going to have. Uh, because that strength and resilience is what's going to keep you. But I have never forgotten that. He always felt that if people lived together and got to know that uh, the differences were superficial and that we were more alike than we were different, that we would be okay. But we all had to live through his vision. <laughs> but we survived. But we did survive. When he died in 2000, we, he actually, 2000, mind you, he actually integrated the cemetery that he's in today. You are kidding. And he and my mom are the only two people in that cemetery. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? He bought that cemetery plot years before because uh, he intended until he died, he was going to continue to make sure that we had equal access, even in a burial ground. So we did. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Amen. Well, God bless your father and God bless him for uh, teaching you how to be a freedom fighter. There you go. From, from a young age, from when you were a little thing. That's that's amazing. Lastly, you mentioned Shirley Chisholm, yes. um, a very famous Delta, and uh, I was very uh, close to Dr. Dorothy Height. Oh, as, I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. One of, one of mine is, uh, well, God, God rest her soul. Um, from your point of view, how Delta, Delta's history was made for this moment. We know the vice president is an AKA, but her inspiration was a Delta. Shirley Chisholm, as was the inspiration for practically every black woman, that she was inspiration for practically every black woman. Talk to us about Delta's history and how Delta was made for this moment. And the work that Delta has done in its history is now manifested in black women being able to hold high office. Which is so exciting. And, that, you know, that's something I actually enjoy talking about. We, I, I always say that uh, social action is in Delta's DNA. Our first public act as an organization was in 1913 when we marched with the suffragettes. We were the uh, only black regretted organization that marched with the suffragettes together in the movement. Mary Church Terrell, who was a uh, very famous suffragist, uh, is an honorary member of Delta Sigma Theta, and she encouraged those young ladies, think about this, in 1913 to leave that campus and go march with these white women. Uh, and the school had a fit. When I read the history, they had a fight, difficult time finding some chaperone to go with them, but some poor man did. Uh, and went with them. But you go from Mary Church Terrell to Mary McLeod Bethune, who was an advisor to Roosevelt on minority affairs and actually sat at the table, only black woman at the table when the United Nations was formed in San Francisco. Uh, Patricia Roberts Harris was the first African-American woman to hold a cabinet seat. She held two cabinet seats with Jimmy Carter, the same seat that Marsha Fudge is looking to sit in now. She will be the second black woman to be the secretary of HUD. The first one was a Delta. We're looking for Marsha to do the same. 
uh, Dorothy Height, who you mentioned, uh, NCNW, and a proud advisor, presidential congressional gold medal winner, who's a freedom fighter and one who is always at the table. Daisy Bates, Little Rock Nine, Fannie Lou Hamer, who's tired, sick and tired of being sick and tired. Amelia Boynton in Selma, who asked Martin Luther King to come and, and do that march in Selma and was right up front marching with him. Frankie Muse Freeman, the first uh, woman on the Civil Rights Commission, was a Delta, Shirley Chisholm, we know. Barbara Jordan, a famous, truly, just such an, I'd love to hear her speak even today when you see her. Congresswoman Stephanie Tubb Jones, we've got the seven in Congress now. Carol Mosley Braun, uh, the first African American female senator who is there. Brigadier General, we have. You know, we've got journalists, Soledad O'Brien, I mentioned Sherilyn Eiffel who is leading a phenomenal civil rights organization, April Ryan, who said she wasn't going to go to the White House anymore as long as somebody was there. But anyway, Susan Taylor, who was with Essence Magazine, Sabrina Fulton, Lucy McBath, both mothers, mothers of the movement, Loretta Lynch, you know, the, the black female attorney general. We have had uh, three, there are three African-American surgeon generals. All three were Deltas, Jocelyn Elders, uh, Audrey Forms Manley, most recently Regina Benjamin. We have Keisha Lance Ballin, who's the mayor of Atlanta. And I think we're most proud, I've named just a few, but I'm most proud of the fact that we've had 12 Deltas on U.S. postal stamps. And to, to imagine... Is that, the, you know, is that the most of any sort? Oh, yes. Wow. Yes, by far. We've had Mary McLeod Bethune, Patricia Roberts-Harris, Ethel Payne, Wilma Rudolph, uh, Mary Church Terrell, Daisy Bates, Fannie Lou Hamer, Barbara Jordan, Shirley Chisholm, Dorothy Height, Lena Horn, Gwen Eiffel, all have been on U.S. postal stamps. And I think because of that, we've got a responsibility as an organization to make sure we focus on social action. It, it truly is in the DNA we have, and it's uh, our history tells us that this is what we must do. I will not be the president to let those founders down. <laughs> None of us will. So. I think all of us feel in our positions that we've got to make sure we continue to move forward with what Deltas are known to do and are meant to do. And, and clearly you are doing that. Congratulations. What a glorious history, folks. And what better way to recognize Black History Month than with one of our divine sororities, Delta Sigma Theta. We're thankful to the president, the national president and CEO, Beverly Evans Smith. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate oh, you. All right. Wonderful. Of course, ladies and gentlemen, as we continue our focus this week on HBCUs and their historical sororities and how this impacts the history of HBCUs in general, we must include another. That would be Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated. Their president joins us, Valerie Hollingsworth Baker. Madam President, how are you? Welcome to Make It Plain. Well, good morning. Good morning. And how are you doing? I'm doing well. Well, I'm, I'm great. I'm great. And folks, uh, we're in New York. Madam President and I are in New York together, so we're New Yorkers. How, how have you and, well, first of all, how have you and your family been faring in this pandemic? We're here in the epicenter. Well, it's it, I, I would say it's been rough. Uh, my husband is an essential worker, so he's mm -hmm. been going out there every day and it's been kind of tough for me because it's not uh, 
easy knowing that your loved ones are out there. I know they're, you know, they're there, they're necessary, they have to do the right thing, they're taking care of the communities that, you know, we live in, but it's still difficult because, you know, you know, up until now, now that the vaccines are out, that's a whole difference. But before, in the last year, it, it, it has been tough for me because I myself am at home. I stay at home. I work from home. So I don't have to go out unless it's absolutely necessary. But having someone that has to go out every day, it, it you know, it, it plays with your mind. So it's been a, it's, it's been a little rough. But, you know, um, perseverance. You know, believe, believing in the Almighty and just knowing that you keep the faith. So that's what I've had to do to get through these these months in the year. I hear you. We're praying for you and your family. And God bless your husband for the essential work he's doing. Uh, obviously, that is that's risky business. So I know how you must feel in that vein. Where are you and your family on the vaccine? And then let's talk about what the sorority is doing. You know, all of our organizations, all of our black organizations, including our Greek letter organizations, have been having initiatives encouraging black folk to take the vaccine. We know that as uh, that sometimes there can be some apprehension because of our history. Where are you where are you in your household on that? And then also, um, where is Zeta Phi Beta on that? Are you all involved in initiatives to encourage people to take the vaccine? Well, I, I would say starting off, Reverend Mark, with just uh, the household, my household, I'm I'm proud to say here live that I am uh, due to take my first uh, vaccine on Monday at 9 a.m. because they've opened up some additional uh, centers uh, in in different uh, in different locations. So I will be taking mine. And of course, my my husband being an essential worker, he's or, or he's get, he's going to be taking his this week, the uh, next week coming up as well. So at least we're we're together on that piece. So I feel a little better. Uh, I feel a little uh, less nervous, you know, and then when I finally get my second dose, I'll at least feel that now I can settle my fares uh, for the household and, and move on from there. That's my my personal goal. Uh, as far as Zeta Phi Beta sorority is in, in uh, concerned, we are in a myriad of initiatives trying to get the information out to our membership and to the communities in which we live and serve in. Uh, we're not here to promote and say, you must uh, go and take the vaccine or take Moderna or take the one from Pfizer or take the one coming up from uh, Johnson & Johnson. We're here to say you need to arm yourself with the information that is needed so you can make a correct decision for yourself and your family what you want to do. Because as you know, uh, as, as as we are Black people, we're, we're, not trust, we're not trusting on on what is going on uh, with these with these vaccines, but I try to I try to educate myself. Uh, I've I've done a lot of research and watching the news and 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 reading what's going on with CDC every day. And I tell my membership that's what they have to do. They have to make a conscious decision for themselves. I've made a conscious decision for myself and my family. I will let them know that. I will also. We'll be uh, updating them as after I take it, what has been going on with me, if there's any symptoms, if there's not, you know, just to allay some people's fears. 
but I believe that our job is to educate, educate, educate our membership and as as the and I said as and the community in which we serve on these vaccines. What you know, what are the alternatives by ha- by having the vaccine versus not? So I think that's very important for us to do, and that's what we've been doing. I was thinking about, you know, the intake and and new people coming on board. There obviously is nothing like the pledging experience, especially at a black college campus. So this group, this generation and this COVID experience is going to be, you know, unfortunately miss out on that. And while that might seem regrettable and there's no substitute for the in-person experience, you know, pledging ain't supposed to be easy anyway. It almost makes me wonder whether or not that might even create a deeper and more longstanding bond. Hey, we made it over in the middle of COVID. You know, I just thought about that. <laughs> well, well, you know, it, it it's different. It's different. But this is what I say. I always try to find a silver lining in everything. You know, the cup being half full versus half empty. What I've learned with COVID is that we can do so much more because believe it or not, I'm working harder now than I was working when uh, it was pre-COVID because everybody thinks just because you're at home, you could be on Zoom all the time. You know, they'll call you two minutes before and say, can you be on this? Can you jump on here? Can you do all this? And, you know, we, we, we're working to make sure to keep connected because that is the, that is the issue. But what I wanted to say to this is that for our New members are doing this intake, uh, having the ceremonies. The joy about that is that how many of them could say that their national, their international president or international first vice president will attend their ceremonies, will bring greetings to them, will talk to them, that they'll be at their virtual reception. I can't tell you the the number of virtual receptions and the actual ceremonies. I know we. We alone, the first vice president and myself, we have uh, been physically there on Zoom with these ceremonies and have inducted over, in 10 weeks, over 500 uh, new members. So they get that experience uh, in seeing us and being able to speak to us where that's not something that everybody would have that opportunity had we been live. So a lot of this now is that even though we're not touching each other and being and, and being in the presence, physically in the presence, just like I'm talking to you, we're we're here. I see you. You see me. We can have that conversation. We can have one on one conversation. We can have group conversation. And that's not how it might have been prior to COVID, because we you wouldn't have that 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 intimate discussion time with your senior uh, leaders. No, that is, that's definitely a silver lining for sure. That certainly is. And I presume too, all of the, the social justice activism that Zeta Phi Beta is known for, you all were able to stay on top of that too, mm-hmm. uh, especially last summer during, during that time and space of reckoning that hopefully has not ended in America, mm-hmm. but, but you all have been on top of that as well. Oh, yes. Now, when it came time for our social justice activities and what we wanted to do, I'm happy to say that in, with the Divine Nine and being a member of the Council of Presidents, we are unified in the things that we want to do together. As I said, all of us, we do similar things. 
And some of us are, are known for certain things versus others. But when it came to making sure that we were out there educating the communities around the country and even uh, and globally about voting, about about the census. These are things that we all pushed, that we all came together on, and we all got our members revved up, ready to go, and getting out into their communities and educating, mobilizing, educating, you know, to make sure that everyone knew what they had to do and that they had the power to do that through their vote and taking the census. So those are two things that we all decided that that was going to be our group activities that we were going to do, whether it was webinars, whether we actually got out there masked up when it was time to go out there to make sure that what got people to the polls, all of that. We did that and we were as one. We were unified in that. And that, I believe, shown very well through the outcome of the election, because I know the Divine Nine worked tirelessly to make that happen. And of course, people are finally acknowledging the significant role of black women in the electorate as represented by what you just described. And, and the unity is great, too. So just to be clear, the first black woman vice president, the first woman vice president, first Asian vice president, the first Caribbean vice president uh, is a member. She's an AKA, but you are all I'm sure you're a different sorority. But because she's a member of the Divine Nine, do, do you all claim her as well as your own? We claim her as a woman of color, a woman that has stood the test of time and that we are proud of her. We are proud that she has achieved this because when she won, black women went one. And that's what's important. We wear different colors. We, we, you know, we kid sometimes and we, we have that way we do what we do. But at the end, we're, we're still one. We're, 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 we're people of color helping our own, making sure that we give them what they need, what kind of educational initiative, what kind of community service initiative. We're doing that because we are trying to do what we need to do to uplift our people. So having her as the vice president is one of the proudest days that we can that we can stick our chest out for and say we are proud that one of us has reached that position. And I, for one, I'm very happy that she is the vice president of the United States. And I know that she's going to do great things. Having her as vice president with her HBCU experience, with her Divine Nine experience, how does that impact what you will want to do in terms of policy and initiative, everything relative to the sorority? Does that help? Does it change the relationship between the sorority and the federal government? Are there things you issues you might raise or or things you might ask for support for or to be in collaboration with that, that heretofore you may not have? Is, is this open a new frontier in terms of the relationship between the sorority and the government and policy? Well, I believe that it will. I know that President Biden has said that he's even having area for um, to talk about the Divine Nine, have people that are representative of them in our sororities and fraternities. We 
do have political figures that are up on Capitol Hill as, uh, already and, and just come on to Capitol Hill. So I, I, I believe that it's going to be uh, those that we have to now hold their feet to the fire and say, these are the things that that affect our communities in which we live. And we've elected you. And now you need to do your job and really look out for the people that have put you in office because we've worked hard. And I'm not just saying just a small populace. I'm saying the broader picture of all that came together, all people of color that came together and said, you know, we're tired of the way things are and we want things to be and we want things to be done better. And I do believe that we have a listening ear. And I think that's important because sometimes when you don't have a listening ear, well, you're not going to get anywhere anyway. But I believe that they're open. And when you're open to hear what is going on and then try to address it, I think that that is half the job done right there. Uh, Madam President, talk to a little bit to our audience, if you would, about the history of Zeta Phi Beta and how it was even made for this moment, how there was a trajectory from you all's inception that could bring about greater recognition for the Divine Nine, could bring about the first black woman vice president uh, and could bring about readiness to deal with the reckoning and racial justice in America. Well, if we go back and we would be going back before 1920, when it when it when it all started, when we were founded, January 16th, 1920, it had to go back before with our Sigma brothers who had a, a vision. The founders, they had a vision of having a sister organization that would work with them. Uh, to help promote the ideals, their ideals, and then, of course, the ideals of, that we also uh, created as, as Zetas. So once we were founded, you remember back then, in history, that is, that the pandemic was just kind of like petering out because it started in 1918. There was a pandemic then, and we were when we were founded, we were now just on the, on the downslide of that pandemic you know, and women's suffrage. And, and, and then, you know, you go on to the stock market crash. I mean, we had five young women, okay, who was on Howard University campus. And they had a vision that now is 101 years old. But they started with wanting to be that community conscious, action oriented organization. They wanted to help their people. And they they had to persevere through some of the hardest times when it started. So through the years, we 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 garnered a lot of firsts. We were the first that that charted ch uh, a chapter in Africa. We were the first to have uh youth auxiliaries. We were the first to have uh women uh that that didn't graduate from college, but we call them our friends or amici, the uh, Greek term, and they work with us. You know, we're, we're, we're the first to have constitutionally bound, the only uh, group that is constitutionally bound to our brother organization. We forged that trail. We were the first to, to cross over to the Mason-Dixon line and start, ha and start going into the Deep South to charter chapters. I mean, we were there. 
on the forefront of many things that happened in history. And it wasn't always the upside, always the good times. We were there when it was hard. When Black people were talking, there was still that mindset of slavery. There were still those things that were going on where you couldn't even you can even go to certain bathrooms and things of that nature. But we went down south. We, 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 still, we still persevered to make sure that we brought the sorority mentality to others so that they would understand how important it is to be a bond, how we have to do things together, you know, because we have to move together. We can't, we can't move apart. We can, do, we can do so much better when we're united. And that was our mindset. So over the years, that's what we have done. We have continued to do what our founders have wanted us to do. And I believe that they know where they are, that we have been forging ahead, making change for for those who need our help to bring light into the darkness, to make sure that our people are taken care of. We're addressing their needs and what we do best in Zeta, we do service. We're the best that there is when it comes to service. And when when we when you when you think about Zeta and you think about everything that we do, we shine because of the service because we're doing God's work. That's what's really important, and that's what we continue to do. Amen. Very very well put. Well, speaking of light into darkness, as we get ready to go, I was never more proud than during that Macy's Thanksgiving parade. The way the community, I tweeted, I say, everybody, look at what's happening on Twitter. Black Twitter is lighting Macy's up. I mean, it went viral. And and even though they didn't know what they were doing, they just tweeted something. They didn't know what they were talking about. Uh, and for those who don't know, Macy's tweeted that this was uh, just a kind of a, a random step group that had performed. And Black Twitter went after them. So, ah, that's a historically... Black <laughs> sorority part of the back. So Macy's took the tweet down, corrected the tweet and acknowledged the sorority. And mm-hmm. so even in that mishap, it gave an opportunity um, for the, the, the larger community to, to recognize and say, wait a minute. Yeah, we need to acknowledge those who have done all the things they've done and have this history. And I even tweeted, you know, some of the the other uh, uh, uh Divine Nine presence. I said, y'all see this? And I started tweeting, uh, I mean, texting them. I said, y'all circulate this too. So then everybody started saying, yeah, this is Zeta Phi Beta. You got to put some respect on the name. <laughs> Call the whole name. So I just want to let you know, I think that was a very, very proud moment. Well, I thank you so much because that was one of my strategic plans when I first became president in July of 2018. I wanted to bring Zeta to the forefront, you know, put that image out there of who we are. And one of the things is that, you know, for Macy's, that's the largest in the world as far as a parade. And there was no other Divine Nine that had gotten to the Macy's Day Parade. So when I had an opportunity to jump on that, because once again, being in the centennial year, I made I wanted that to happen. So when they made that mishap, I knew that it was going to, you know, I, I immediately said something. I knew they were fixing it. But when I saw the, the storm of everyone else joining in, I said, see, that goes to show you how when we as unified what we can do, Macy's apologized. They, you know, they know what their error was. They uh, and and they corrected it. And that's what's important. 
because you cannot, you can't allow anything to just slide by. You want to make sure that if there's something wrong, correct it, get it right. We know who we are and we want everybody else to know who we are as an organization. And that's what, then that's what happened. Well, those that didn't know show found out that day. That was one of the happiest Thanksgivings I've ever had. I'm telling you, that was my Thanksgiving. It was beautiful. And you all deserved it. Congratulations on all the great work you're doing. Congratulations on the centennial. It's almost happy 101st now. And I know you like, I like what you said. I know y'all gonna keep this train going. So God bless you. And thank thank you for joining us, okay? Thank you so very much. And you have a good day. Folks, joining us now as we continue to recognize Black History Month, and we're recognizing HBCUs in particular. Now, my guest now uh, actually wears two hats. Not only is she the president of HBCU, but today we're focusing on our historic sororities, and she is the president of one of those as well. And so that's the hat she's wearing today. We're happy to have with us the president of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. Dr. Glenda Glover joins us from Nashville. Dr. Glover, how are you today? Good morning. It's a good day. Thank you for inviting me. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you. So how has the sorority been coping and handling things uh, in the midst of this uh, pandemic, first of all? Well, of course, it affects all of us differently. It affected the HBCU community, it affected the, the, the Divine Nine community. We pivoted to to virtual uh, operations, uh, virtual programming, virtual meetings. These were, we slipped into the virtual world. But we still managed to uh, serve our communities. We still managed to do the service projects uh, to raise money for students who are going to college. We still continue the the, the basics uh, of the programmatic aspects of the sorority. And people are still, have you all still been able to have lines and pledges too? Well, we had to restrict that uh, a lot because um, because of the safety issues. Mm-hmm. We did find a way for those students who had started last year this time last year when the initiation process began and we had to shut that down. Those who were in the process, we let them finish. But the others, we have not, we've not done any more processes since then. Okay, okay. And obviously we know the AKAs, you all have a strong commitment to social activism, social justice, community help. How about in, in that area? Have, have you all been able to to as best you can with in the virtual space continue that work well of course we last year we had a, a massive GOTV effort to get out the vote right. throughout the, the, the campaign we of course we couldn't tell anyone uh, for whom to vote because you know we're, we're a nonprofit but we certainly organized that that effort to get out the vote effort we had the undergraduates and reached on the college campuses the divine nine the established at the plate and just did a lot to ensure that the vote was, they got out to vote for both elections, both in November then again on January 5th, because the right to vote is so sacred. A pandemic cannot stop that, cannot uh, have us forfeit that right because of a pandemic. So we worked around it and got the vote out. 
isn't it a blessing, really, that finally people are beginning to realize, in particular, the significance of the black women electorate? And black women have always made a difference, but it seems even more so now people are finally getting it, how foundational black women are to the electoral process and the difference black women make. Oh, yes. I mean, it's no secret. There's no question that's been said throughout this the last uh, six, seven months, years that the black women are the foundation. Black women have just laid that foundation for that right to vote back to the suffrage movement. Uh, back in 1913, when women were fighting for women to have the right to vote, when it was decades later before black women got the right to vote, but Alpha Kappa Alpha was very, very much into that. And as a matter of fact, uh, sent a letter to the head of the march saying, we're not going to march at the back of the march, participate in the march and go to the back of a march for the right to vote. So if you don't let us do that, we're not going to participate. Can you imagine back in 1913, sending a letter like that to somebody in charge and say, listen, we can't march in the center or up front. You're not going to relegate us to the back of the, of, of the line. So we've always been involved. And, you know, just, just think about this is the time Alpha Top Alpha was founded in the early 1900s, 1908. Uh, 12 years earlier, they had just declared Tennessee versus Ferguson that, that separate but equal is the law of the land. It was against that backdrop when, when African Americans were being discriminated against, dehumanized. NACP was founded a year later. It was just so much segregation. So it took courage, it took a level of boldness to even form the, uh, Alpha, the Alpha Kappa Alpha sorority. And three other sororities were formed with similar missions to uplift black folks, just uplift African-American women. And we're still continuing to do that to this day. What, what has been Alpha Kappa Alpha's role in this situation with the vaccine? We know uh, as uh, Dr. Hildreth and Meharry, his, the term he, I like to use the term he uses, uh, uses a rational apprehension in our community, obviously. Yes. But what, what have you all been doing to inform people about the vaccine and even to encourage them to take it? Well, it's an educational process, and, and, and there's some apprehension, and rightly so. You know, we look at the Tuskegee Airmen, you look at how the past has not been kind to African Americans when it comes to, to medical trials and, 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 and vaccines and, and medicine. So we have to educate our own community to say, listen, is it, what has a greater risk? Uh, not getting the vaccine or, or maybe getting COVID-19. I know personally because my, my daughter, her husband, uh, my grandson, the baby, all had COVID. So they all have COVID. So we're, we're getting through it. You know, God has blessed us and we claim in, in, in faith, we claim healing. But even so, we know that there's some apprehension to it. And we're telling them, listen, I went and got my second shot, uh, last Saturday. Uh, and it, it just, everything is fine. I went to Meharry and got it. Went where I feel comfortable getting it. Went to Meharry, got my second shot, my husband and I. So it, it, we're okay. He said we have to make sure that uh, our our community goes out and get vaccinated. Because having a vaccine is not the same as getting vaccinated. So we're yeah. just trying to get people out to, to, to get vaccinated so we can lower that risk of, of, of getting COVID or dying of COVID. You're uniquely positioned in the HBCU space as a, as a president. Talk to us a little bit um, historically about the relationship between our historical sororities and our HBCUs and how they complement each other. For example, how the AKAs have been an asset 
to our HBCU campuses and in turn how the HBCU experiences has kept the AKAs, AKAs going strong? Well, I serve as president of Tennessee State University. And as, as president, I have to make sure that nothing is compromised in the students' education experience during this COVID-19 pandemic. That's, that's, that's paramount. We've had some challenges with, with technology devices and, and getting students home and back, you know, so we've had some challenges, but nothing can compromise their education because, you know, too much of a price has been paid for that. So in the AKs have worked hard with HBCUs. Let me give you a prime example. When I became president, I know, I mean, being a college president also, I understand the plight of African-American students on the plight of HBCUs. So I know funding is a big issue for HBCUs. So I had one of my, one of the program targets for the sorority is to support HBCUs, to push HBCUs, to ask to have students to attend HBCUs, to market them, but then to take it to another level, find money, support them financially. So we have a project that once a year, one day a year, we raise a million dollars in one day. We've done it three years in a row from the membership. We say, you know, if you can have cell phones, you take that money and put, give it to HBCUs. Instead of going to Nordstrom's or even Target's or wherever you're going to go, give it to HBCUs. So in one day, we raised a million dollars and, and we gave and we probably distributed to, to, to all, all but, I think six HBCUs, maybe 10, all but six or 10 HBCUs have gotten uh, a fifty thousand dollar or a hundred thousand dollar endowment to to continue the sustainability of the university because you know endowments represent sustainability. You give scholarships to students. So every college campus, it was I was my intent, our intent to have a an AKA endowment, AKA HBCU endowment on every college campus, so students could see the relationship between Greek organizations, the Divine Nine, Alpha Kappa Alpha, and HBCUs. Because they, they are, they do go hand in hand. We both fight for to pre- prepare leaders, to cultivate young women to become leaders and succeed in life, to better our communities, to work against them, to look at the health care issues that we're having, uh, international focus. So we have so many issues. We are social issues. Because, you know, you, you and I talked earlier, we talked about this COVID-19. They keep saying it's because African-Americans have uh, high susceptibility because they have high blood pressure, diabetes, and that's the reason. No, that's not the reason. I mean, that, that is, <laughs> that, that is a, it, that happens. But the reason is there was so much discrimination in healthcare that the chickens just come home to roost now. So now that years later, when, when there was so, when we were not allowed to go to the hospitals and get the proper treatment, now it's coming back. You can see now the results of that. That's why we're having a problem. That's why we have high blood pressure. That's why, no, no, our diets are not always proper, but we got to go to the root cause of this. The root cause of was the discrimination, the unfair treatment in the healthcare world for African Americans. That's where, and so now it's coming back and we can see some of the issues associated with it. And, and of course, you have every, and AKAs have every right to be proud for the first time we have an African American woman in the vice presidency, and she is an AKA. Talk to us. Well, first of all, let me ask you this, um, because I talked to the president of Howard University, uh, her alma mater, about this as well. Um, What difference do you think it will make for our HBCUs and our Greek letter organizations to have one of our own 
an HBCU graduate and a Divine Nine member, an AKA member in the White House. What, what difference do you think that'll make in what we're trying to do? Let's go to the, let's go to the AKA first. Okay. It's the whole Divine Nine. You know, it, it would be easy to say Alpha Kappa Alpha and Kamala Harris, but she's aware of the fact that the, it took all nine fraternities and sororities working together to, to, with the assistant in getting her in, in office. It wasn't just Alpha Kappa Alpha. Uh, and it elevates the divine nine to, to that level. And, and, and that people see it's not just, uh, week shows, uh, or it's having fun on campus. It's about impact and change, social change, you know, the massive GOTV movement. I mean, that was just phenomenal. And so in the HBCU where it has elevated HBCUs, the fact that Kamala Harris attended Howard University, you know, one of the most prominent HBCUs in the world. It shows the caliber of people that HBCUs produce. So, you know, we're proud to, this is the year of the HBCU. I mean, she has elevated HBCUs because, uh, it is, it's a game changer for little black girls, you know, little, 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 little Indian girls, little Asian girls. And if you can see it, you can be it. And it's such an inspirational moment. And what I like best about it is that it can finally put to bed that question of, are HBCUs relevant? Well, we've shown the relevance. Anybody who asks that question, I should be embarrassed. They should be ashamed to even think about HBCUs relevant. But she has shown the relevancy of HBCUs. It's so relevant that we brought her up through the HBCU rank, and now she's vice president. So we, in fact, we are so relevant. If HBCUs did not exist, they have to create us. You know, so it's it's, it's a good day for, for HBCUs. No question about it. And and lastly. Give our audience a little. You you mentioned it too, obviously the the role in the suffragette movement uh, that the AKAs played. Give um, our audience even more if you don't mind about the history of the sorority and how the soror- the sorority's history was a trajectory that led to this moment where a member would be in the White House. Well, it's the vision of the founders of the organization when they dreamed of this day. They dreamed of a better day. They looked over uh, in the direction of the promised land. You know, back in 1908, they saw this day. They saw this very day. They looked across the rivers of discrimination. They looked across the rivers of segregation. They looked across those rivers and, 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 and saw that now we can see that she has, she has come so successfully across it. So somebody has crossed the river that they, they, they envisioned our founders saw this day coming. So it started back in 1908. And has come forward now to see where are we now? A, a, a black woman in the White House, a member of the Divine Nine, Alpha Kappa Alpha, in the White House, uh, standing number two, the, who has a, the, the has a power to be the decision maker in the Senate. First of all, if you don't believe in God now, if you didn't believe in God, you have to do it now. If there were, if there were some non-believers. They have to be converted now, they say. <laughs> they have to know that there is a God. That's what that says to me. That's what our founders pray for this day. And you can't hear a God. You just have to wait. So now here it is, 2021. We're elected in 2020. And we're doing, we're doing the work of this ministry because politics is a ministry. And so we're doing this, the works of this ministry. And that's why I'm so, I'm so happy to talk about it because it sets HBCUs aside. It sets divine nine aside. It lets people know that here we are, we're working hard to make change in America. 
for black women, black men, black people. And I'd be remiss, folks, uh, as, we, as we said, Dr. Glover's president, Tennessee State University. My grandparents, my, my mother's parents were mm-hmm. the first in their families to go to college. And they both graduated uh, from Tennessee State back when it was called Tennessee A&I mm-hmm. <laughs> back in the 30s, in the 1930s, believe it or not. Well, you and your family are in our prayers, and I hope you mm-hmm. all are recovering well and much love to Tennessee State, but especially um, much love to the Alpha Kappa Alpha sorority of which Kamala Harris is a member. And let me just say, if you, you all heard the, the president, what she said, you know, she has, we're talking about the AKs at this moment, but she's kept everything in the context of the Divine Nine because we're all in this together. Right. So we definitely uh, appreciate that, that unity. Dr. Glenda Glover, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. Please remember to listen, like, subscribe. And wherever you get your podcasts, please give the show a five-star rating. And please do spread the word. Let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police-demic. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been Made Plain. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.